Amen. Thank you, Dan. Well, when I knew that uh, uh, Don Bunger was going to be the speaker for the women's breakfast and, and Jason was coming along, I definitely wanted to see if uh, Pastor Jason would be interested in preaching. Back when I was doing my doctoral work with uh, Haddon Robinson, doctorate in preaching, there was this other guy in the class that was this kind of a Methodist Calvinist guy. I'm like, what is this guy all about? So, uh, but ended up becoming really my best friend in that cohort and uh, started his church at Hope Church, started pastoring Hope Church around the same time I started as the senior pastor here. And he and I have been in contact and um, uh, really praying with each, for each other, talking to each other, getting each other's wisdom and counseling here over at First Baptist and him at Hope Church, which is a, a Methodist church um, in the Dayton, Ohio area. And um, Methodists, you guys still teach the Bible, don't you? I think. Some of them. I got to rib them a little bit here. So, um, <clears throat> But uh, pa- uh, Pastor Jason is not only the senior pastor at Hope Church, he's also an adjunct professor at Moody Bible Institute Seminary um, in Applied Theology and Preaching. He, uh, he asked what I, I would want him to preach on. I said, well, I'm preaching Romans, and I've been in Romans for a while, so do something Old Testament, and I'm doing an epistle, so do something in narrative. So he's going to be in Genesis 39. Can we just give a warm welcome to Reverend uh, Jason Bunger? Well, let the church say Amen. Amen. I was a little delayed. Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. All right. I feel, I feel challenged to preach this morning now. Amen. <laughs> so um, first of all, I wanna, just want to thank you just for the privilege of being here uh, this morning. Um, but, but listen, I'm no fool. I know that, um, I know that uh, the reason that I'm here this morning is that, uh, is that my wife was invited to preach yesterday, and I'm the plus one. Amen. So this is the kind of timeshare presentation you have to listen to <laughs> in order to get out of the room. But listen, uh, one of the things I want to tell you before we begin is um, oftentimes when you um, are in the presence of greatness or you possess greatness yourself, it is, uh, it is difficult to recognize the gift that you have. And so uh, oftentimes when someone is naturally inclined to be a musician, they assume that everybody has that gift that comes so easily to them. It's hard to recognize greatness when you possess it yourself. And I say all that to say, you really have a phenomenal preacher here. You really have a phenomenal pastor. And uh, would you just put your hands together for Pastor Rick? He's just such an encouragement to me. Now, now in all disclosure, we became friends, and we became friends because we did our doctoral program together. But we stayed friends because Jessica and my wife are friends. Can somebody say? <laughs> we, we were sharing on the way down. We were sharing on the way down. Our girls are 12 and 14. We have only been away from them on two occasions. And both of them have involved <laughs> Pastor Rick and Jessica. Amen. So that says, something about, um, that says something about how dear they are to us. And, uh, and I know they're dear to you as well. And so we... Uh, we consider it just a great privilege and, and very humbled to, uh, to be with you this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Um, and in fact, let me, uh, let, me, let me read this passage first, and then we will uh, we'll make a few comments from it. 
Genesis uh, chapter 39, this is one of the first scandals that we see in the scriptures. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, and had brought him, and bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down from there. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of, the Egypt, of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. And from that time he made him overseer of his house, and over all that he had, the Lord had blessed the Egyptian house. For Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything in my charge. He has not anyone in his house greater than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do such wickedness and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he was in the house to do his work, none of the men of, of the house was there in the house. So she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. This lie with me, this is more of a command. The first couple times she was trying to be subtle. Now she has grabbed him and she has made a command. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had, she had his garment in her hand, and that he had fled from the house, she called the men of the household and said to him, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me, and he fled, and he got out of the house. And then she laid up her, his garment by her until her master came home. When she told him the same story, and she said, This Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came to me today to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and I cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, the way that your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison to a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and there he was there in prison. Watch this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, 
because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Father, we come to you this morning looking for your hope, looking for your encouragement, and looking for your presence. Would you please be with us this morning, Lord, and would you please speak mightily through your word to us? It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So there's a new show uh, coming out this week on the Discovery Channel called uh, Extraordinary Bird Watcher. It, uh, the concept of this show is that there is a man that is going to go around and he is going to talk about different birds and uh, their impact on nature. And so he'll study parrots in, uh, in, uh, in Puerto Rico. He will, uh, he will observe uh, birds from the, uh, the, 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 the bridges in Manhattan. He will travel all over the world observing birds. And, and the gentleman's name that, that ho- is the host of the show is a gentleman named Christian Cooper. He is the most famous bird watcher in the country. And the reason that you know Christian Cooper's name, you may not know his name, But he became famous because he was the Central Park bird watcher. He was the man that was watching birds in Central Park and was falsely accused by a woman of of threatening her and uh, threatening to uh, both hurt her and her dog. And uh, he had the whole thing on video and she threatened him and accused him. And the video shows, she says in the video, she says, listen, the police will believe my word against yours, she says, because I am a white woman and you are a black male. And so uh, the woman, Amy Cooper, was arrested and, uh, and two years later now, Christian Cooper, the man that was falsely accused, has not only been exonerated, but, uh, but has his own bird-watching show. Sometimes in life, when you and I have been falsely accused, what some people intend for bad actually turns out for good. But the problem is, when we go through life, life isn't fast-forward. In fact, Today may be the first time you really uh, knew the name of Christian Cooper, even though you've heard his story over the last two years. When we look in the life of Joseph, we see Joseph being taken from one place to another, but it's almost like we see it scrubbed on, on fast forward, like we can move our finger along the needle and cause it to happen earlier. But the truth is, you and I go through seasons when you and I will be falsely accused. It might be someone in your job accusing you of not doing what you're supposed to do. It may be someone accusing you of being in a relationship that you're not really in. It may be someone on social media starting a lie about you. And all of a sudden it tends to go viral and you can't get it back. But one of the things, especially in our social media world, is you and I have to learn how to live in the tension of being in situations where others have made accusations about us that we simply don't have the power to defend. And here's the thing. If it has not happened to you, trust me, someday it will. Can somebody say amen? Amen. There's nothing worse than someone making up an allegation about you that is not true, and you don't have the power or the opportunity to set the record straight. Joseph was a man that knew what that was like. 
He was a man that knew what it was like to be in a situation where he is accused of doing something that he did not do, but he simply has no way to show his innocence. He has to endure the consequences of what someone has made up against him. But but in that, I, I believe that he shows us in this passage, I believe that Moses shows us in this passage, how you and I can endure when we have been falsely accused. Anybody here have been falsely accused? Am I the only one? Let, let, let me just show you. Let me, let me just show you three things, just three simple things we see when our character has been questioned. First thing is this. First thing is this. When your character has been questioned, when you have been accused of something that, uh, that, that, that you did not do or, or your character has been mislabeled, the, the, the first thing that you and I can do, the first thing that you and I must do is, number one, don't take it personal. It is possible to do all the things right And even though you do everything right, the the people that you do things right for actually say the exact opposite against you. I, I read you this narrative of Joseph. From what we see of the narrative of Joseph, everything happened because because God's hand was with Joseph. This woman began to continually seduce him. It began subtly. It began probably very playfully, but it began in a very flirtful way. And in fact, in the one, one text, she said, listen, all I want you to do is lie beside me. That, that's all I'm asking you to do. And then it continues to get ratcheted up. And from what we see, Joseph handles the situation well. Notice, notice Joseph never says anything negative about her. He never rejects her for who she is. Joseph basically says to her, and in fact, in fact, look what, look what, jo, look what Joseph said. Look down here in uh, verse 8. It says, but he refused. He says, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything in my charge. No one is greater here at all, and everything has been kept back from me except yourself. He's saying, listen, you're, you're my master, your husband, the one that's in charge of all this, has entrusted me with everything here. And not only has he trusted me with everything, he has, he has entrusted me with your protection and your purity. If, if I do what you ask me to do, then not only will I violate what your husband has asked me to do, I, I will violate the thing that is most precious to him, which is you yourself. And in spite of all that, she's still falsely accused him. There are some people you cannot work hard enough for for them to tell you you did a good job. There are some people that, be- that will believe that every single thing you say is a lie no matter what. I'm looking at the clock right now. It's 1118. There are people in the world, if I tell you it's 1118, you're going to try to prove to me that it's any other time other than 1118. There are some people that are so invested in your failure and it has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with how you let them down. It has nothing to do with the flaw in the past. There are some people that simply want to see, there there are some people that simply will not trust you for who you are. And all I can tell you in this situation is don't take it personal. Keep loving, keep honoring, Keep serving, keep being a friend, keep being kind, keep being faithful, keep giving, keep sacrificing, keep doing all the right things and trust that God will take care of those that honor him. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. So number one, don't 
take it personal. Accusations are not a reflection of your character. The second, second thing is not, not, only this, not only don't take it personal, second this, we used to always say this, consider the source. Consider the source. Uh, the false accusations are raised by insincere people. Now, let me just show you three ways that, 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 that you could tell that she was insincere and the whole thing was messed up. The first thing she did is she, uh, she, got, a, uh, she got what we would call a kangaroo court together. When, when she called people to sympathize with her, she didn't call people that were going to be impartial. She, she, didn't, she, didn't, call, she didn't call her, uh, she, she didn't call the government officials. She called the people that lived in the house and that worked in the house. In other words, she called her family and she called her employees. And of course, now listen, when someone is trying to run you down, they are not going to go to the people that are impartial. They're going to go to the people that already agree with them in the first place. Amen. So listen, you may say, wait a minute, there's a whole crowd against me. You know what? You're right. They're not against you because of who you are. They're against you because of the person that brought the accusations in the first place. Of course, they were going to support her. She only played to her base. And it wasn't objective. Let me show you the second reason you couldn't trust her. The second reason you couldn't trust her. Since Rick brought it up in his prayer today, I guess I can go ahead and say it. She brought the charges on racial grounds. Watch how she did this. Watch how she did this. Verse 14, she says she called the men. She's calling, her, she's calling her kangaroo court. She called to the men of her household and she said to them, listen to her this. See he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came here to lie with me and I cried in a loud voice. And as soon as he heard me, he, he, he left and left his garment beside me. Now, notice what she does. Notice what she does in, in, in verse, um, she says, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. First time in the whole passage that his ethnicity is brought in the case. And so what she tries to do is she tries to make an argument on two grounds. She tries to make a sociological argument. Uh, she try, I'm sorry, she tries to make a racial argument and she tries to make an economic argument. She says, first of all, he's a Hebrew and secondly, he's a servant. Watch this. When, 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 Moses, I'm sorry, when Joseph is being successful in the house, his ethnicity wasn't an issue. When he was being faithful to Potiphar, his ethnicity wasn't an issue. When, 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 when Egypt was being prosperous, his ethnicity wasn't an issue. When she was trying to seduce him, his ethnicity wasn't an issue. Once he rejects her, his ethnicity wasn't an issue. But, but, but now that she's going to bring the accusations, she, she front loads it by saying, this Hebrew. Why? And then he says this. She says, this Hebrew has come here to laugh at us. She doesn't say, this Hebrew has done this to me. What she is saying is this Hebrew has done this to, watch this, all of us. In my, um, in my homiletical imagination, <laughs> I think she's basically saying that this Hebrew is trying to do to all of us. I better watch how I say that. 
I, I, let, me, let, me, let me come at it this way. I think that what she was trying to do with this Hebrew, she is accusing the Hebrew to do to all of them. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? I, I think what she is saying here, I think what she is saying, she knows they're not going to get on her side. So she makes it a racial issue, not between her and him, but between his people and her people. And she is basically saying that if he is allowed to do this to me, then those people are going to do this to our people. She goes to the highest, she goes to the highest form of discrimination and that she labels the, she, she not only uses her power and position to oppress someone that, uh, that, that is marginalized, but the very thing that she is trying to do to him, he, she is accusing of him of doing to her and to all the people. She front loads it. And she knows that if she can get them wound up around issues of ethnicity, that they will fight not for her, but they will fight to preserve something they feel they're going to lose to another people group. And it's 2022, and we're still fighting these same battles. One purple group, one purple... One people group constantly fighting against others and making exaggerated stereotypes in order to, uh, in order to not deal with our own consequences, our own, our own sinfulness. It was easier to label a whole people group than for her to admit what she had done. Well, let me tell you this. Let me, let, let me move on. Let me move on. Let me, it's, it's kind of quiet here. Are we, all, are we all right? Are we okay? All right. All right. Just want to make sure. <laughs> Just want to make sure. Uh, let, let me show you a third thing. That is, that, that is her husband. So, so, so not, not only, not, not only uh, does she call a kangaroo court, and not only does she trump up racial charges. Watch this. <laughs> Watch this. She, she didn't do right by her husband. Notice, notice the accusation. This is funny, man. This is funny. Watch this. Watch this. Th- listen, this is Johnny Depp type stuff that you're going to see right here. All right. I probably should have led with that. Amen. All right. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. I got to find it. I got to find a verse. You're going you're to love this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch. Oh, verse 6, verse 14. We're going back to this verse again. She called them into the house and says, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He has brought among us. Wait a minute. She is, she is trying to sleep around on her husband. And she blames her husband for bringing the Hebrew into the house in the first place. <laughs> wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You, you don't believe me, you don't believe me. Look down here, look, look down here, look down here. Um, uh, verse, uh, verse 16. Verse, seven, verse 16, she laid up the garment by her until her master came home and she told him the same thing. Watch this. Look what she says to her husband. She says, the Hebrew servant whom you, whom have you brought among us? He came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice, he fled his garment and he fled out of the house. This woman is trying to have an affair on her husband with this Hebrew slave. 
And when it doesn't go right, instead of accepting responsibility for herself, she blames her very husband, who she is trying to have the affair with, saying that it is not only that it, that, that, that it is his fault that she's in this situation in the first place. Do you all see that? <laughs> It, listen, if that is not the height of delusional, that's why you can't trust her. Because you can't trust her because not only does she lack integrity, she's blaming somebody else for all her problems. She's having an affair or trying to have an affair and then blaming her husband who she's trying to have the affair on when it doesn't go the way she wants it to go. Now, let, let me show you something really interesting. Though. Let me tell you, that her husband was no fool. Watch this, watch this, watch this. In ver- watch this. Look, look down in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words, his wife spoke to him, this, way, this is the way your servant treated him. It says that his anger was kindled. Interesting thing, Pastor Rick, interesting thing. Lennox would say that the text is ambiguous about who he's really angry with. At at first reading, we make the assumption that he's angry with Joseph. But the text isn't really clear about that. In fact, Joseph should have been executed, but Joseph was given a less, a much less severe sentence. Joseph was put in prison And Lennox and others hypothesized that perhaps his anger really was kindled at his wife. Why? I would even, I'm suspicious that the whole reason Joseph was in the first place, in the home in the first place, is I think, and this this is my homiletical imagination, I think Potiphar knew exactly who his wife was, And I think Joseph may have, may have been in the house to watch her as much as he was there to watch Potiphar's stuff. (laughs) I can't prove that, but it seems to me from this passage that he trusted Joseph with everything else. And uh, it's not clear about who he's really upset with. So listen, watch this, watch this. When you, when you, uh, when, when you get accused of, uh, when you get falsely accused, n- number one, remember this, number, 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 don't, don't, uh, don't take it personal. It has nothing to do oftentimes with you, who you are. Uh, secondly, consider, consider the source. False accusations are raised against insecure people. Uh, sometimes they, 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 trump, they get their own kangaroo court together, they get their own posse together, they get their own group together. Sometimes they will make accusations based on, based on racial lines. And, uh, and oftentimes, just because someone makes an accusation against you doesn't mean the people around them genuinely believe them. Sometimes, um, sometimes people just let people speak and, uh, and take what they say with a grain of salt. Amen? Well, let, let, listen, I've given you the bad news. Let me give you some good news. Let me give you some good news here, okay? When you've been falsely accused, don't let it stop you. There are three sources of hope in this passage. Three things that give us great hope, okay? Number one, the first reason that we see great hope in this passage is we see the love of God. We see the love of God. Look in verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love. That word steadfast love, Hebrew word chesed. 
Pastor Rick's probably shared that with you. It's the covenant love for God. It is the love of God that is not conditional on our actions, on our behavior, or on our character. It is the love of God that God gives us because of who he is, not because who we are. And there's nothing you and I can do to earn it, and there's nothing you and I can do to lose it. That means that whether you are in the palace or whether you are in the pit, whether you're in the penthouse or whether you are in prison, whether you're on the ups or whether you're on the outs, no matter where you go, you always have the chesed, the unconditional love of God. Doesn't matter what anybody says about you. Doesn't matter where you're at. You always have the love of God with you that cannot be taken away. Amen? Not only do you and I have the love of God, the second thing that you, uh, you, you and I have is, is we have the, the power of God. When I say power of God, I don't, mean, um, I don't mean that we can do the things that God can do, but I mean that there are some things that God does through us that we cannot do on our own. Some people believe that the theological tension of this whole passage is this. Who is really in control? Is Pharaoh in control or is God in control? And just, just look at what we know from the passage. So, you, so just from the characters. We, we, know, we know Potiphar's wife attempts to be in control. And so she attempts to seduce him and that doesn't go well. And so she can't even get this man that, uh, that, that, that could be unfaithful with her and nobody would ever know about. It. She can't get him to do what she wants him to do. And so Potiphar's wife, who we don't even know her name, obviously she's not the one in control. Potiphar himself doesn't appear to be in control in this passage because he has to imprison someone that he knows is probably innocent. And he comes in and in front of the whole crowd gets blasted by his wife because she wants to have an affair, but she blames him for it and blames his uh, best confidant as being the one responsible. Potiphar doesn't seem to have much power here. Doesn't seem to be the, doesn't seem to be the jailer in the story. Why? Because he puts everything under the control of Joseph. And we know Joseph doesn't have power in the story because Joseph starts out in the palace but ends up in the prison. So the question is, despite of all of everything that's going on, who is really in control in the midst of this? It's interesting. There, there's, a, there's, a phrase, there, there's a word in Hebrew, the Hebrew word yad. It can mean hand or charge. It's basically the one that controls and makes sure that, that something takes place. It's the power. Watch this. Watch this. When, when we go through this passage, we see this Hebrew word yod eight times. We see it over and over again. I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 3, it says, uh, all that he, the, uh, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. Verse, uh, v- verse 8, and he has everything that he has, everything that he has been given has been put in my hand. Verse, uh, verse 12, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me and left the garment in her hand, which didn't mean anything, wasn't her hand not mean anything. But, but, but then we see here, verse 22, the keeper of the prison put everything in the hand of Joseph. Verse 23, everything was in Joseph's hand and the Lord's hand was with him. The Lord was with him. And so what we see in this passage, is that when Joseph is in, when in the palace, things are successful. When Joseph is in the prison, things are a mess in the palace, but they're successful in the prison, which means this. The hand that was with Joseph in the palace is the same hand that was with Joseph in the prison. When Joseph was taken from the palace, 
the anointing went with him. Which means this, when God's hand is on your life and God's presence is in your life and God's love is in your life, it does not matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're living. It doesn't matter where you're working. It doesn't matter where you're serving. That it goes with you. It is not conditional based on a geographic location. God was the one in this passage that actually has all the power and does all the moving, and does all the operating. It is not Potiphar. It is not his wife. It is not the jailer. It is not Joseph. The power in this passage is in the hand of God. We have great hope because no matter where we're at, we're always in the love of God. We're always moved by the hand of God. But finally, we always have the presence of God. I I know Pastor Rick has shared with you about the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And about how how is the name that God gave his, his, his people. And exclusively for his people. That describes his unchanging nature. The, the, the covenant name for God, you, you'll, you'll see it oftentimes written in, in bold letters. Look, in, look, we see it in verse 2. It says, the Lord... Verse 3, the Lord. The Lord was with him. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. The Lord caused everything he do to, to succeed. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. The end of the passage, the Lord was on all that he had in the field. Verse uh, 23, the Lord is with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. Verse 21, the Lord is with him. Eight times in this passage, eight times, you see the Lord, the covenant name for God. Only once do we see it after this in the entire count of Joseph's life. When Joseph is in the palace and he's in the prison, we see the presence of God eight times. In the rest of Joseph's life, we only see it once. Now listen, I'm not saying that God wasn't present in the rest of Joseph's life. But I'm saying that when you need someone and times are difficult, we feel and sense and know And appreciate and see the presence and power and love of God than in circumstances when we don't feel we need it as much. Who who was in control of this passage? It was God. It was the love of God that preserved Joseph. It was the power of God that gave him success even when he was falsely accused. And it was the presence of God that gave him hope even when things looked hopeless. Christian Cooper knows what it's like to be falsely accused and to come out on top. Joseph, as you know the rest of the story, knows what it's like to be falsely accused and to come out on top. But you know what? There's somebody else that knows what that's like too. When I read the New Testament, I read the story of someone that uh, said in John that the Father was with him. When I read the New Testament, I see the story of a man that was falsely accused and uh, brought before a kangaroo court. In the New Testament, I see someone that, uh, that, was, uh, that, that, that was falsely held, um, was falsely held without a 
without a fair trial. When I look in the New Testament, I see someone that was put in some sort of pit that he couldn't get out of. And when I look in the New Testament, I see someone just like Joseph that came forth from that pit and actually, watch this, brought redemption to the very people that put him there in the first place. Joseph's a great story because it shows us how we can deal with being falsely accused. But it's a greater story because it shows us that we have an advocate that suffers that on our behalf. We have a savior. We have a savior in the person of Jesus. That for our sake, voluntarily, went, say, from the palace to the prison. Went from heaven to earth. Lived a sinless, spotless life faultless life, yet was falsely accused. Endured the suffering, endured the shame, endured the hurt, endured the mistreatment, was accused of doing the very thing that he was trying to redeem people from. Suffered, but by the hand of the Father was brought out of that suffering And gives redemption to the very people that have put him there in the first place. I thank you. I thank God that we have a great Savior like that. I thank God that he holds us up when we've been falsely accused. And I thank him more that he redeems us when we can't redeem ourselves. Father, we thank you that you endured all this on your own. And you did so not because you had to. You did so because you chose to. The power of God that was in the life of Joseph is the same power of God that put Jesus on the cross. That rose Jesus from the dead. The love of God that is seen in Jesus when he voluntarily died for us and rose from the dead. It's the same love we see in the life of Joseph and the same love that is available to us today. And the God that was with Joseph in the prison is the same God that stands beside us when we've been falsely accused. And the same God that redeems us when we've been the accuser. Father, we thank you for that. We look to you, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen.